0: Happy Super Bowl Sunday, I'm cheering for the New England Bucks tonight, and um, I think some of you guys are too. I think that we get a finder's fee because we connected, we're like Match.com for Brady and Gronk, right? So we get a little bit of the fee for that, we get like a mini Lombardi trophy if the Bucks win tonight. Um, but uh, you guys excited about the game? Who, who here is cheering for Brady to win his like seventh, like that, it's now we're awake, okay, let's talk football, right? Um, you know, one of the things I do, I, I love, I love football, I love sports, and one of the things that I love about sports is, as an average fan, you can watch the game and just enjoy it for what it is, but you can also understand that there is so much that goes into what makes the game possible. There's so much behind the scenes, uh, and, and there's personnel, far more personnel than there are players uh, that make the team what it is and and there's planning and there's coaching and there's training and you know there's drafting some some of what we're seeing in tonight's game are decisions made on draft day years and years ago and tonight is the culmination of that and there's something really cool to me about that like it's not just about the game though you can watch the game and have fun and enjoy it but there's like an invisible layer to football that we don't see that happens during the week that's happened through all the trainings. That's happened through all the meetings. And just like your jobs during the week, um, they're doing things during the week to prepare them for these games. And what they do during the week is ultimately what determines how they are gonna play out on Sunday. So all we kind of focus on are the plays on Sunday, right? And, but there's so much that happens behind it that we don't ever see. That's how God works in our lives. What we only see is a snapshot of what he's doing. But there are so many invisible things that God is doing behind the scenes through the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Because it's so easy, it's so easy for us to just focus on the things we see God doing and forget all of the behind the scenes work that he has going on in our lives. All the things that he is mending, all the things he's preparing us for, all the things he's doing that you just don't even know about. And so we're wrapping up our series uh, this uh, today talking in uh, it's called The One and Only, and we're, we're discussing the fact that there is one true God. There's one true God, but he exists in three different forms, and, and he's unexplainable, and he's mysterious, and there's things about God that, that we just can't explain. There's, there's nothing that we can put into words to fully help us to, to understand God 100%, but we're going to try our best. In and, and the first week, we talked about God the Father and how God the Father, he is our judge, and he is our creator, but he prefers to be our father. He wants to be your father. And, and anybody that says yes to following Jesus, you're a child of God. So he created everybody, but those who are a part of his family are the people who sat down at the table with him. And God the Father, he's all loving, he's all powerful, and because of that, we can boldly pray to him. And then uh, last week we talked about God the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the true image of God which some of us become numb to that. It's like we know, you know, but the fact that God in heaven came down and we have a physical picture of who he is and of how we are supposed to live is just unbelievable. And this week we'll be wrapping up the series by talking about who some often refer to as the forgotten form of God, the Holy Spirit. And it's essential that we talk about this because the spirit of God isn't just near those who follow him. He's actually inside us second or first corinthians 3 16 it says this don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of god and that the spirit of god lives in you the spirit of god lives in you some of us read that and we're kind of freaked out like when did that happen when did the spirit of god come is he living inside me when you said yes to follow jesus you invited the holy spirit into your soul and that's where he dwells. And by the way, this is a side note. This is why those who are in Christ, who have said yes to Jesus, when we read about, about demons and satanic possession and things like that, sometimes we have this misnomer that there's spirits that are just going to jump into our lives and take over. A spirit can only enter your life if you invite them in. Okay, so... so As a Christian, as somebody who said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in my soul, I don't have to fear demons. I don't have to fear demon possession because that only comes if I invite them in. I've invited the Holy Spirit, the godly spirit to come into my heart, and that's where he dwells. So it's the father that we have great reverence and fear towards. It's Jesus that we feel most comfortable with, right? Everyone likes Jesus, right? I had a non-religious friend in high school that would wear a shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy, And he's not even religious. But everyone's like, yeah, I like Jesus. He's all about social justice and being nice to people and forget. Like, we we all like Jesus, but it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that we feel most distant from, even though he's the closest to us. That's why we're talking about it today, because it's the only form of God that is exclusive to Christianity. So, other world religions, other life philosophies that people follow, um, many of them accept God the Creator that there was a God that created the world. Most, In fact, most of the U.S. population believes in a form of God that created them. Most people, history, science, they all acknowledge that Jesus existed and that Jesus was a real person. Every world religion says that. If you you deny that Jesus ever lived, you're actually denying science and history because there's over 15,000 historical accounts that Jesus lived. So that's not even the debate. right? But the Holy Spirit is different. The holy spirit isn't discussed in other world religions that's what sets our faith apart is that god has given us this gift that many of us just haven't tapped into yet all right let me do a quick poll that i know is controversial in 2021 who here prefers uh apple over pc anyone out there okay that's because you prefer good godly things right that makes (laughs) sense so i have had a mac for 15 or so years And one of my favorite things about Mac is there are no viruses. Like, I haven't had to think about a computer virus since I got an Apple because their their software is protected. And I remember pre-Mac, I had a PC growing up, and I would do what all of you guys did back in the late 90s, early 2000s, where you're pirating music illegally, and you're just you're like, it's okay, God forgives me of my sins, yada, yada, yada. So, but we're hanging out on Napster and Kazaa and Morpheus. You guys remember those websites? And you don't even know what you're downloading. You're just downloading, you're like, that sounds like the Backstreet Boys song I wanted, but it might not be. Come on in, it's an open party. I remember like, I, I downloaded some soft, like one of those Norton antivirus, and it scans your computer, pre-Mac, and it said I had 117 viruses on my computer. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but it still works, so whatever, right? I don't have to think about that anymore as a Mac user because viruses are just not a part of the conversation. You know why? Because there's invisible software. There's things running in the, se- in the background that protect my security. And most of your computers now have something like that, right? Where the computer computer is doing so much to protect you that you don't actually see. Like, I don't have a pop-up that says, hey, just so you know, we protected you from viruses again today. It just happens in the background, right? That's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is doing things in the background. He's protecting us, and we don't even see it. There's so many things he's doing. He's walking ahead of us. He's clearing the way, and we don't even notice. In fact, I think the best quote I ever heard about God is God is up to a thousand things in your life and you only know about three of them, if that, right? Like God is doing so many different things in your life. The Holy Spirit is quietly doing so many things in the background, even though you don't see him. He's the spiritual operating system that makes all of it work. He's the form of God that allows all of the things running in the background of your life, even when you don't see. In fact, the Bible refers to God the Spirit as a wind, as a strong wind. Do you see a strong wind? No. Is it there? Yes. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So my goal is this, that you will learn more about the Holy Spirit today so that you will become more dependent on him in your life because that's a better place to be. It's a better place when you're fully dependent on God, when you're recklessly dependent on God instead of yourself. Psalm 46.10 says, be still. And know that I am God. Know that I'm Elohim, that I'm the plural God. What God is saying, know that I'm God the Father. Be still and know that I'm God the Son. Be still and know that I'm God the Spirit, that I'm God the Holy Spirit. I want you to know me. I want you to know all of me. So who is the Holy Spirit? Because in order for us to know who he is, we have to know who he is, right? So the Holy Spirit, what role does he play in our lives? So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna look at a few passages and we're gonna be jumping around a little bit. If you wanna follow with us on your phones or in your Bible or on the screens, anything uh you want to do you can but uh we're just gonna be jumping around because the bible has a lot to say about the holy spirit and we're trying to pack it in in a short amount of time but this one is this one's really important okay so john chapter three um this is the first time that jesus directly refers to the holy spirit and it's kind of early on in his ministry and a lot of us know the john three sixteen passage right that that's the end part of this conversation where jesus is approached by this guy named nicodemus and nicodemus quite frankly he's ashamed he's ashamed to follow jesus because he grew up and he's a part of the Jewish council who were like fully against Jesus and what he was teaching, but he knew that there was something different. And some of you can resonate with, with Nicodemus, that you, like, you want to follow Jesus, but maybe like most of the people around you don't, and so you kind of quietly follow Jesus. So that's what, that's what uh, Nicodemus is. He's quietly going to Jesus at night, and he just wants to ask questions. And he basically asks him, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be made right with God? Here's how Jesus replies, uh, John 3, verse 3. Jesus replied, tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. You know how sometimes you you like, you, you don't like really want the right answer, you just want the easier answer? That's what Nicodemus, he's like, What do you mean? This sounds like a lot of work. I thought you were just gonna say like one, two, three. So that's why he exclaims, What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows, there he is again, the Holy Spirit, wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind... But you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So what Jesus is basically saying is the Holy Spirit that gives you new life in God. Not a new physical life, but a new spiritual life. And here's why. I'm going to connect a few dots for you. A lot of us are saying, why do we need a new life? Because Ephesians 2.1 says this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. And the Greek word there that translates to dead is dead. It's saying once you're dead, there's no way around it. It's saying once all of us were dead spiritually. We were dead. We were hopeless. Verse 4 though, but but God so rich in mercy and he loved us so much because God is love that even though we were dead because of our sins, even though we were hopeless and offered nothing in return, God gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And then it jumps ahead to verse 8. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. A lot of us think we work our way into salvation. It's the other way around. God gives us salvation. Then he says, go do good works with it. For the good things we have done so no one can boast about it. This is the first thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you A new life and brings you into his family. That God the Spirit makes you his son or daughter. That if you say yes to following God, you become his child. A lot of people think every human is a child of God because he created them. That's not true. You have to sit down at the table. You've got to say yes to God. You have to call him Father. And it is through the Holy Spirit that that relationship happens. Because of the Holy Spirit, you can be God's child. He's like the glue to you and his family. It's kind of like, uh, how many are parents in the room? Parents in the room. All right, many of us are, right? And that love you have for your kid, or maybe I, like you used to have before they became a teenager, right? So the love you had for that kid right off the bat, right? Did they earn that? No, you just loved him. And it's a different kind of love, isn't it? Like I love my wife. I love Mexican food. But the way that I love my kids, it's a different kind of love, right? It's a different love. That's the kind of love that God has for his children. It's a different kind of love. It's a designated kind of love. And the way that you love your child doesn't even compare to the way that God loves his children because God can love and there's like no cap to it. Like God's love is unconditional. It never ends. So it's that kind of love. That's what God feels for you. And the Holy Spirit is the one that makes it a reality for anyone that chooses to follow him because when you enter God's family, God enters you. Isn't that cool? Like when you enter God's family, God enters you. He enters your life and he dwells there indefinitely, but it doesn't stop there. It's the Holy Spirit that also enables you to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.16 says this, whenever someone turns to the Lord, The veil is taken away. That means you have turned from your sins and you've said yes to following Jesus. You've turned from the disobedience in your life, your disobedience towards God, your selfishness towards others. You said, I want to follow God. The veil is taken away. It means there's no more separation between you and God that we see things from a new perspective. For the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I just want to read that again because that's a beautiful verse and I don't want us to go over it too quick. Where the spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. Some of us don't feel that right now, but that doesn't mean because it's not offered to us. It's because the enemy's pulling us away from it. It's because our insecurity is getting us caught up in the wrong thoughts. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom from anxiety. There's freedom from fear. There's freedom from the bondage of sin. There's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more... And more like Him, like God, as we are changed into His glorious image. So, in other words, taking all that passage and putting it into one sentence God the Spirit transforms your heart to be like God. God, through the Spirit, transforms you to be like God. You will never be God. You will never be a God. If you think you are, you're way off, right? But you can be godly. You can have godly factors. You can reflect God through what you, you, you do. You can do things like Jesus does. And that happens, that transformation happens through the Holy Spirit. So remember how we said that Jesus is the true image of God? If, if, if you believe in Jesus, you've chosen to follow him and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you also get to be a reflection, I've got not the true image, but a reflection. And this is called, you ready? Sanctification. You ready for your Bible word that you probably didn't use this week? Sanctification, okay? This is the Bible term of the ongoing, here's what it means the ongoing transformation of becoming more and more. Holy, more and more like God, more pure, more righteous, more godly. That happens because of the Holy Spirit, sanctification. In fact, sanctification—the most literal expression I like to say—is sanctification is the fact that God is saving us, not just that God saved us. That it's an ongoing process. So, uh, who here is trying to lose weight right now? Okay, here is trying to lose weight, but they're embarrassed to admit it to everybody? There we go. Okay, uh, who here's already given up on your New Year's resolution? You're like next year, 2022. That's the year, right? Now, we all know the frustration of doing all the right things but not losing weight, right? Like that's a deflating where like you eat healthy and then you work out and then you step on the scales and you weigh the same or like barely moves at all, right? That's a, that's a frustrating thing. Here's, here's why that's the case. I say this like I'm the health expert. Yeah, let me tell you how to lose weight. <laughs> you don't want to listen to me on this. What I've learned is this. You can do all the right things, but there's an invisible quality, in your body that ultimately determines how fast or how quickly you lose weight and that's metabolism, right? So you can work out and that'll speed up your metabolism. You can eat the healthy things and that will affect your your metabolism in in a quicker way, in a healthier way, it'll get your metabolism running quickly or it'll slow it down, right? So you can do all the right things but if it doesn't affect your metabolism, it doesn't make a difference. That's why teenagers, you can say, you know what? Instead of a salad, I'm gonna have a brownie casserole for dinner and you don't gain weight because your metabolism's going a thousand miles an hour. But then when you're 25 years old and you have a brownie, you gain five pounds in an hour, right? That's because of metabolism. It's like the secret ingredient in your body that determines if you will lose weight or not. It doesn't mean you don't have to do the things, but those things initiate the metabolism to do its work. That's how spiritual growth works. You still have to do the spiritual things. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray more. You've got to repent more. You've got to worship with God's people more. But the the spiritual metabolism, that's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's actually making that change, that's actually transforming you from the inside. Does that make sense? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He transforms our hearts to be more like God. He's your spiritual metabolism. Galatians 5.22, it says this. A lot of us know this verse. Maybe if you grew up in Sunday school, you remember hearing the gifts of the Spirit. A lot of us know that, right? Here's what it says. The Holy Spirit, we skip over that part. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. What it's saying is if you're truly following God, these should be lived out in your life. That's why as much religious works as you do, if your life isn't being described with words like these, you're not really living for God because this is the fruit that somebody who's godly produces. Where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces those. All those good fruits that we produce through living a godly life, it comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's like the invisible producer. Okay, now, the last thing, the most exciting thing, the thing that many of us miss. This is the part most of us miss out on because we don't even realize it's available to us or we don't really believe it's true. This is the part that separates us from the rest of the world that does not choose to follow Jesus. Acts eight. You will receive, what's that word? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Power. Now, the Greek word for power is power. A very unique word that if we know the meaning of we, we we don't miss it first of all it's a feminine word so this is almost like saying you'll receive girl power girl power right and here's what here's what the actual word is is dunamis dunamis is the word for power there's no reason to write that down unless you want to impress somebody that doesn't care this week okay dunamis here's what the word actually means it doesn't mean you're going to be stronger and you'll be able to do more curls this week okay you can write acts 1-8 and say i receive power but that's not what it's saying. You're selling it short, if that's what you make this verse to mean. What it's actually saying, the actual word here, it's saying you will have the power to perform miracles. That's the word Jesus uses here when he says you will receive power. He's saying you're going to receive the kind of power that no one else gets, that only the Holy Spirit can produce. This is a unique kind of power. That through God in spirit form, you receive if you've said yes to Jesus. And the only people in the world that have it are the people who've said yes to Jesus because it's that unique power that's specifically designated to and through God. The Holy Spirit gives you power. God the Spirit empowers you to grow his family. Power to do what? Perform miracles. Miracles for what reason? To give give God more glory so more people will follow him. It's not power so that your name will become famous. It's not power so people can say, look at that great miracle that this person performed. It's all powerful. It's power from God, for God, through us. It's so that you can help other people also to know who Jesus is. So when we read in the New Testament about these miracles performed by the early church, those weren't just for God to show off. Those miracles were done to give signs to others that God really existed. That's why he gives you this power. See, if you're trying to walk through this life on your own, you're missing out on the overwhelming spiritual advantage that God has given you through the power of God to work through your life. Isn't that exciting? That's what so many of us miss out on. Like we read that and we're like, oh, that's cool. They had this power. And we like we forget that Jesus is saying this to us too. He's saying, you receive this power. So My daughter, Hazel, who's now five, is at an age that I can start to educate her in really important things. And one of those is Nintendo 64. And uh, we've been playing Super Mario Kart 64 recently, and she's frustrated because the Nintendo 64 controller makes no sense, right? We know that. And her hands, she's like, what do I do with it? I'm like, I'm just going to beat you and not tell you. So we're playing Super Mario Kart 64, and those of us that have played the game knows that there's these different power-ups throughout the level, and and they they give you basically these different, like, you get a shell and you can hit someone, then you can pass them. The greatest power-up in Super Mario Kart 64 is what? Does anybody know? It's the lightning. It's the lightning. So we're driving um, down there, and I'm, I'm killing her. She's in second place, but it's 50cc. Okay, so all the drivers are like, slow down, she's fine right? And she's driving. And she has this power up, but she doesn't know how to use it. And I try to tell her, but her hands can't reach the back button. She doesn't know where it is. So she's driving through this race and she has this power up. And lightning is, is unique because when you use it, it affects everybody in the game. Everyone gets smaller. You stay the same size so you can drive twice as fast as them. So it's like, it's like the power up among power ups. Now she doesn't have to use it, she can leave it in the box and keep driving the race and that's what she did, but that power-up is there and it's untapped and it's unused. And it's like this advantage that she has in the game, but she chooses to ignore it and just drive the race. That's what following Jesus is like if you don't ever tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like you're, you have this power-up that God has given you this advantage, this, this unique kind of power that, that we just don't even tap into. We just kind of leave it in the box up there. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to drive this race on my own. And then I'm going to complain when God doesn't step in. And then I'm going to get overwhelmed. And then I'm going to get anxious. And I'm going to get discouraged. And meanwhile, God's like, I, <laughs> I gave you the power, but you got to use it. You got to ask for it. Otherwise, it just sits up there. That's where I think so many of us are missing, that that we hear this and we get excited, but then we don't do anything about it, right? That's why the Holy Spirit's often called the forgotten God, because this is the part of God that changes everything. This is the part of God that separates Christianity, the Christian movement, from the rest of the world. No other world religion promises that God will enter you and he will work miracles through you. That's the Holy Spirit. We don't ask that God will empower us to get us through our day, to get us through our crisis. Like, when's the last time you prayed for God's power? Maybe that's a good question for you to wrestle with. When's the last time you actually prayed for God's power? Not just, God, help me. That's different, isn't it? But God, you've already given me the power, so give me the power. God, help me out. When's the last time you were truly dependent on the Holy Spirit, if ever? See, most people don't ever do that. Most people that go to church don't ever do that. Even though it's right there waiting for you. Oswald Chambers says this. He says, when it is a question of God's Almighty Spirit, never say, I can't. Because you can through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just because it's available to you doesn't mean it's automatic. You have to ask for it. You have to to pray for it. You need to ask God to fill you up with the Holy Spirit. I want to explain this. Because there's a lot of confusion around this term, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Who's heard that term before, being filled with the Holy Spirit? And some of you may have gone to churches that define this a different way. So I want to define what this means for you. I was very confused when I read in the Bible, it says, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it would actually say that for people that were all, already following Jesus. So it confused me because in Acts it says they, they repented, they were baptized, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then those same people later on in life, it said they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, well, what was the first thing? And it's been very confusing because depending on the kind of churches you go to, there's a lot of misunderstanding of what this means. So I want to clarify it because when I was in high school, I went to a church, I went to a church plant and I asked the pastor, I said, I keep reading about this being filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that mean like, does that mean you just trust him more? What, what does that mean? And he said, oh, you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, I think I have. And he, I said, I, I asked Jesus into my life two years ago. He said, no, no, no. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, I don't know now. And then what proceeded was a ceremony that some of you are familiar with where people laid hands on me and they said, you're going to pray in tongues now and you're going to do all these things. And honestly, it was very confusing and it was defeating and it was frustrating because I didn't know what they were talking about and it felt, it felt odd. It felt odd. Now, if, if that, something like that has happened in your life, I'm not dismissing it. But here's what I've learned that actually means. Someone explained it to me, and I'm like, that's it. Okay, so being filled with the Holy Spirit means this. For those of you who have said yes to Jesus, okay, it's like when you said yes to Jesus, kind of out of saliva, so we'll see if this works. (laughs) Holy Spirit entered your life. You already have the Holy Spirit in you, okay? Being filled with the Holy Spirit means you're asking for God to expand your balloon. You're asking for God to expand your faith, to expand your power. You're asking for more of the Holy Spirit, more dependency on God. You're asking for the power up to come in. You're saying, God, fill me up. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't there before, and it doesn't mean you need some unique ceremony from anointed leaders to tell you, okay, now you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not what it's saying. The Bible never says that. It's saying you're asking for more of it. You're asking, God, my balloon is here. Fill me up. I want more. God, if this really is you, I want more. I don't just want to be the little. So I got to deflate this now, which might just kind of ruin the moment, but. You guys get the point, right? That's what it means when it says being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why you're not going to see services up here. And I know we've seen these on TV. It's really important we understand this. Because to say that I need other people to come into my life and invite the Holy Spirit in is dismissing my direct relationship with God. I don't need that. God is already in here. All I'm saying is, God, more of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. Why does God want to expand your balloon? And fill you more to help you through life, so that you can persevere, so you can focus more on his mission of trying to help others to also know this same God, to help others discover this this amazing, unexplainable, mysterious God. So the, the questions that I think we just need to wrestle with in this is, where do you need to have a deeper trust for the Holy Spirit? One of my mentors always says, where are you doomed to fail if God doesn't show up? That's the posture through which we should be living. If the answer is nowhere, we're not really living by faith at all. Where do you need more power from the Holy Spirit to expand you? The Holy Spirit's absolutely ready to work in your life, but you need to ask for his help. You need to call out to him. So where do you need more wisdom from the Holy Spirit? A lot of us are trying to solve all of our big problems right now on our own. James 1 says, if you need wisdom, ask God who gives generously. That's through the Holy Spirit because he's already with you. Where do you need wisdom? Pray for that. He's ready to help. In fact, very last page of the Bible says this. This is God's final invitation. Revelation 22:17. 17, the spirit and the bride, which that's uh, a literary expression for the church, anybody who's chosen to follow Jesus, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who's thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. That's God's final, he, he's just inviting, he's waiting for this. He's waiting for you to call out to him. So what area of your life do you need to ask the Holy Spirit to transform right now? Because you know it's broken, and you know it's not where it needs to be. Where do you need God to reconcile? Where do you need God to heal? Where do you need God to empower? Where do you need the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom? Don't try to do it on your own. I'll say this. If you find yourself feeling anxious and defeated, it's probably because you're not truly trusting God in that moment. Because you're thinking it's on you. You're thinking it's on the doctors around you. You're thinking it's on the wisdom of the people around you. Maybe you're just not dependent on the Holy Spirit enough. I'll close with this story. Um, A lot of people don't believe this story when I share it. They're skeptical of it. Um, When I was in high school, uh, shortly after I started following Jesus, I started a Bible study at my high school. and um, Most of my high school friends had nothing to do with Jesus and I knew they would never go to a youth group so I just started on Wednesday nights or Wednesday mornings before school and this little Bible study grew to about 40 students that would come and we'd sing a few songs and then I'd teach just a horrible teaching Um, and, and I had no idea what I was doing and yet God used that measly offering to see my friends change their lives. There was this moment, I'll never forget it, it was the Monday before Thanksgiving. And we'd moved our meeting up to Monday because we were out of school that Wednesday. And the weekend before that, one of the guys, a friend named Kyle, who um, had just started following Jesus a few months earlier, he came to me. Um, we were playing poker at my house, and, uh, and after, we both got out early. And so the other guys were playing, we just kind of went and like sat outside for a few minutes. And he goes, hey, Stephen, can I tell you something? Said, What's up? He said, so I found out this week, and I don't even know what to say about it because it's embarrassing because I'm a 17-year-old guy. I found out this week I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I didn't know guys could be diagnosed with breast cancer. And I definitely didn't think 17-year-old friends of mine could. And he said, I'm embarrassed. And like my family knows. But I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. Like I'm a senior in high school. and." I didn't know what to say. I just said, well, can we pray for you? And by the way, that is a good default if you don't know what to say. But really mean it. I said, tell you what, when we have our our Bible study on Monday, can we just end by praying for you and praying that God heals you? He said, sure. Now, here's what I love about teenagers. They really do believe bold prayers that they pray. I think as an adult, I've become more skeptical because God hasn't worked in the way that I want. So sometimes I doubt him, but teenagers they actually believe that God will do crazy things in their lives. And so this group of teenagers, at the end I said, hey, Kyle gave me permission to share, and he just wanted us to pray um, that he's got to go to the doctor on Wednesday because um, he's got to uh, have chemo over Christmas, his Christmas break senior year. And so I just wanted us to pray for him. And then one of the teenagers in the back was like, let's all pray for him right now, and we'll lay hands on him. That's what the Bible says to do, right? I said, yeah. So this moment... We all gather round, we lay hands on Kyle, and we prayed for him and it was a sweet moment because we're these young Christians and we don't know any better than to ask God boldly to heal him right on the spot. We're not afraid to ask for that because we haven't seen God not. We're just saying, God, we know you can, so do it. And we're all tearing up and crying, regardless of what God does from that moment. It's a sweet moment, right? So we all go to class. And then uh, the next day, we have our final day, and then Wednesday, I I texted him that Wednesday morning because I knew he was going to set a date for chemo, and uh, he never responded. Uh, He called me at like 11 o'clock that afternoon. He goes, Stephen, I don't know what just happened, but I went to the doctor, and they said they didn't even know where the cancer was. And they said they thought they had the wrong patient because they said, you just came last week, right? There's nothing in your system. He's like, we don't know what caused it. And he's like, and Stephen, I told him I knew what caused it. it was that prayer. And you know, sometimes we hear stories like that and we get frustrated. Because if God can really heal, why doesn't he? And maybe they were just wrong the first time. But maybe I don't see God work more miracles because I don't actually believe he will. And I don't ask for them. Like, when's the last time I actually, truly asked for God to work a miracle in my life and believed he would? Like, one of the things I've started to pray is, God, surprise me with your prayer request here. Sometimes I don't even know what to pray, and I say, God, you know it for me. But maybe the reason we don't see the Holy Spirit work in our lives in this way is because we just don't even ask for it. And then when he doesn't, we get upset and we blame God, and we get confused when we read about God in the Bible, because we're like, I don't see him working in that way. But maybe it's because the people in the Bible really believed what they were hearing about God. Like, what if we really believed that? And I'm not saying that to make us feel bad. I, I, I'm convicted in this. Like, what if I actually had the same faith that 17-year-old Stephen had, that whenever my friends were sick, I say, God, just heal this right now. I know that you can. I know that you can, God, because science came from you. Like, you're above science, you're above history, you're above logic. You have the power to do these things. So do it, God, please, in the name of Jesus, not for our glory, but for yours. And God, I'm asking because I know your name will be brought more glory. Imagine if we had that kind of faith. Imagine if we really believed the Holy Spirit worked in our lives in that way. Wouldn't that just change everything? That's why this is so important, because this really is what separates us. Do we really believe we have that kind of power? and start asking every single day. Wake up and say, Holy Spirit, work in our lives. Work in my life. Walk ahead of me. Help me to trust you more. Help me to pray bolder prayers. Let's pray for that and then see what God does. See what stories we get to brag on about God years from now. Let's pray together. God, um, I'm a broken person and it's so easy to doubt you so easy the control freak in me to think I've got to take over everything, God. Just help me to trust you more. Help us to trust you more. Help us to really believe what we read. Help us to not stop short where it gets uncomfortable, this idea that you live inside us and you want to do these miracles. God, that's exciting, but that's scary too because the responsibility that we have that comes with that, God. Just help us to trust you more. Lord, I pray that through these teachings about you, about you as our Father, you as our our true image And you, in spirit form, that lives with us, that empowers us, that transforms us, that walks ahead of us, that works in the background, God, just help us to really believe that you're there with us, God, that we don't have to worry on our own, that there's not a moment in life that I'm alone. Because the Holy Spirit's with me, and he's doing a bunch of stuff I don't see, and he's waiting for me to tap into his power. Not for my own glory, not for my own gain, but so that you can show off a little bit more in this broken world, God. Help us to trust you more. God, the areas of our lives right now that we need more wisdom, I ask that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. God, the areas of our lives that we need healing, I ask the Holy Spirit heals. God, the areas of our lives that we just need to trust you more, fill and expand our balloon even more. Lord, I'm thankful that you're a good God. I'm thankful that you call us your kids. I'm thankful that you love us enough to give us a second chance. God, if there's anybody in this room that knows That they haven't gone all in. That they haven't invited you into their life. Pray that they do right now. And they pray a prayer just like I prayed 17 years ago. And they say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Will you enter my life? God, I know I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me? God, I'm asking Jesus to forgive me. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come into my life. I want this new life with you. I'm turning from the sin in my life to put you first. God, for those of us in this room that have prayed that prayer, whether today was the first time, we prayed it years ago, you're with us, and we thank you for it. Thank you for being the beautiful, mysterious one and only. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.